I have been watching so many Max Webster and Kim Mitchell videos. Have you? It, uh, for more on this one than any other guest we've had. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Just to remember all the music. Huh? The funny thing is, I used to see... Okay, so there's the OPP hat-wearing Kim Mitchell uh-huh. with, like, the beach T-shirt and the shorts. Uh-huh. And then there's the spandex-wearing, no-ball-cap Kim Mitchell from Max Webster. Right. And I used to see the Max Webster albums in the store... And in my head go, that looks a lot like Kim Mitchell. <laughs> you didn't know that. <laughs> but that can't be Kim Mitchell because that person's dressed so different than what I'm used to. And so it never, I don't know when it dawned on me, but I never connected the two. And so hence, I never... Um, went down any Max Webster rabbit holes. Ugh. And then I'm listening, literally, the music this past week, and I go, I know this music. This is Q107 music. Yeah. This is like, this is awesome. I said, this is unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> and then I used to think, why did I not think that that was Kim Mitchell every time I'd see the albums? I think in my head, that can't be Kim Mitchell. <laughs> Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. Hi there, I'm Kim Mitchell, and welcome to the music. Let's begin. All right. Welcome. 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 Thanks, it's great sir. to have you on. It's great to have you on here, sir. I, 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 I wanted sir. to start off with a, a little bit of a story. I don't know if it's a story, but, um, growing up as a kid in Whitby, um, oh, yeah. I remember my earliest concert memory and I'll say earliest concert memory, although it was a missed concert memory or, or never happened. I remember I was always jealous of the kids, I think it was in 79, and you guys played as Max Webster at Iroquois Arena in Whitby. And, like, you know, I think of Million Vacations and Battle Scars and High Class. And, and like, I think of how, how big of a, a how, how much it played a big part of my, you know, sort of preteen and early teen years. And I just wanted to, I, I, as a musician, I just wanted to thank you, to kick it off by thanking you for, you know, inspiring so many young kids to just, like, think, hey, I can do that too. So just, I just wanted to thank you for that and kick it off. Well, that's, that's a nice compliment. It's quite, it's, uh, quite humbling when um, people come up to me and have a memory like that. Um, my drummer pointed out a drummer I've had, you know, as you know, drummers, we, as in our careers, we go through drummers. Um, <laughs> you hold the bar high and then you hold it a bit higher and you get, no. Uh, but the one drummer, uh, is a great drummer actually. And he said, you know what, what happens to you every time someone comes up to you? And I said, no, no. He goes, everybody has a Max Remster story or a Kim Mitchell story. And I said, you're right. And I said, it's, it means so much to me to hear little stories like that, that you were a small piece of someone, the fabric, the musical fabric of someone's life. So thanks a lot for that. No, no, thank you. Appreciate it. As um, I, w- I wanted to, to actually, the first question I wanted to ask you, Kim, is a couple of years ago, you had a, a little bit of a health scare and I wanted to ask you how your health is these days. It's good. It's four years ago now. Four um, years ago. I, I, I think so. Yeah. Three or four years ago. Um, I'm doing okay. Uh, that's what doctors say. So, yeah, um, I'm going to, I'm going to believe them for now. Um, but you never know. 
It was, uh, yeah, you never know. It was, uh, it was a heart attack and it was a pretty major one, even though, uh, it was just a left anterior descending, which they nicknamed the widow maker because Whoa. not many people, not many people get through it. So, um, there was one funny moment though, and then we can move on from it. The funny moment was you're, you're outside the operating room and there's a, a group of doctors and nurses and the ambulance attendants and, uh, they're all yelling numbers and, and your status and all that stuff. And then they, they hold a piece of piece of paper in front of a clipboard and they go, can you sign this to, yes. you know, basically says, we'll do it. We will do anything. And I said, and as I was signing, I went, just don't let me die as I'm signing it. And from the background, the guy who's now my cardiologist in a very thick Scottish accent, which I'm terrible at, he goes, well, now that's the idea, isn't it? That's all he said. So, and, and, and I started to laugh. I don't know why. Here, here you are, like in disgusting pain. And, well, that's the idea. We're going to do our best, I think. I mean, that's what you're here for, right? I don't know. That is crazy. Awesome. That's, that's the weird thing that they do. I've had, I've, uh, I was going to say the opportunity, but uh, a number of years ago, I had uh, liver surgery. Okay. Uh, and they had to remove, I think, 60% of my liver out. Um, and I remember doing the same thing. You're, you're on the bed and they put the clipboard and they just say, just sign here just in case we mess up your, your family can't come us. Exactly. And, and if there's something more we need to do that, this gives us, yeah, we're going to do what we can. Absolutely. Are you okay now? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you so much. Okay, good. Um, but like you said, the doctors say I'm okay. Um, That's right. I remember going in maybe six months later or a year later and uh, my wife was with me and she asked, um, you know, so apparently the liver grows back. And so I think my wife had asked the question, is the liver grown back? Um, And the doctor said, yeah, it should. And then that was it. (laughs) It should. We don't know really. (laughs) Yeah. It should. He should be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad uh, everything worked out for you, and uh, you know, and also a belated happy birthday, I guess, or just a thank you. I, I canceled it because of COVID, so next year. <laughs> Sorry, you, you canceled the birthday, but you release an album. That's right. Are you releasing an album? Oh, what's okay? So, so yeah. So, no, I am releasing an album. Actually, I've been 39 for decades. You, yeah. So, yeah. You look it. Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> What what prompted you to release? You've already you've released "Wishes," great song, by the way. Thank you very much. Um, being well, being well received. Actually, this yeah. week I got word that on all your DMDS, whatever those things are called, categories, all, mm-hmm. in all the categories, it was number one this week. Oh, amazing! Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, why? Back to why the really bottom. Fun? Back to the bottom of the barrel next week. <laughs> right. We'll go. We'll go to Walmart enjoy, and pick it up. <laughs> enjoy your moment, Kim. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you you said this, Kim. You said this on a couple of interviews um, about actually, I, I, not just about wishes, but you've said it in regards to other songs as well. That once you're done with it, you feel like going to the backyard and yeah. shooting it, and then that's yeah. it. So, like. Yeah. Help me understand well, the thought process. Okay, okay. Okay. First of all, that's a buddy of mine, a co-writer that I work with. And, <laughs> and we finished the, we finished the record. I said, well, that's it. It's done. It's mixed and mastered. And now what, what do you think we should do? And he goes, I guess we just take it out back and shoot it, you know, cause it, and, and he, we both laughed at it. Cause you know, that the thought process behind that is the journey for, for myself and whoever I work with writing and recording is the writing and the recording of it. Once that's done, I have no control over anything. It, whether people will like it, whether anyone will hear it, but there's, I mean, you can only hope that whoever does hear it will like it, but you mm. can't control any of that. So why, why lose sleep? Why fret about all that? The, mm-hmm. for, for us, the journey was making it. And that was a beautiful experience, even though, Many times writing records every Friday, I quit the business for some reason. I, 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 you get writing and you get writing and the week goes on and things are going like this. Cause that's what happens when you're writing and recording. And then Friday, it's also exhausting. He says, I have emails from you 
one of my co-writers, I have emails from you almost every Friday. You quit the business for about three months. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I'm done. It's and, over. And Monday, and Monday, it's like, okay, so let's get let's get back to work here. So. Um, so that's and, kind of what the thought process was behind. And, and when you talk about, you know, Monday through Friday, how is that, is that how you work? I'll say now, because you probably have the luxury of working that way now versus in the early days. I mean, I know for me, it was, you know, midnight to 6am sessions. Sure. So is that like, is that how you prefer to work now when you're midnight, midnight to 6am? Well, uh, is that because of the price of studio time? It was the, yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. When I was in my 20s, yeah, it was studio time. <laughs> well, no, no, you make sense because yeah. during the day it would be the beer companies yeah. and the car companies paying yeah. top dollar for studio time. And then it, you're right. Rock bands like, well, yourself, Max Webster, Rush, even, they we all go in at midnight uh-huh. and start recording till six in the morning. Um, yeah, for me, if, if there's a project on the go, it's Monday to Friday. Um, my producer Greg Wells, when we went, when I went to Los Angeles to record with him, he works from eleven till six, and he said, and I, he says, I don't want you staying. I don't want you holding the engineer here and going. Oh, I just want to work on a guitar solo. He goes because you, the you. He says, I've done this for over twenty years, and he's had a lot of success. Um, he's a Grammy Award winning dude, mm-hmm. and and he goes, uh, you, it, the project will end up being better. You will you will make a better project. Your mind will be clear if we just work those. And then in, in the evening, you're in Los Angeles, you're in Culver City, go to your hotel, I don't know, have, eat at the restaurants, walk around, whatever you want to do. And he said, clear in the head. morning, yeah, yeah, clear your head. And it really matters because as musicians, it's so easy to get caught up in that. How many times have you started at, you get out of bed and you're like, okay, I'm going to get going and get at your home studio and then 11 o'clock at night, you're still in your underwear and you haven't eaten. And you know, your, mm. your mouth, your mouth tastes like something crawled inside it and died. And, um, but I, I don't work like that anymore. Yeah. Is that where that was going? Yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, no, I just, I, I sort of keyed in when you said sort of the, the, the Monday to Friday and, you know, as we've, we've, We've interviewed a number of people, including, I don't know if you're familiar, Mark Howard, the engineer. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like Mark, Mark talked about the various musicians and the way they would work. And, and some were midnight to six, and that was what they did because that's the way they work. And so it was interesting to hear you talk about the Monday to Friday. So, yes. Yeah. And that's, as I say, while a project's on the go, uh, having said that, in writing mode, I never force creativity. You can't. You know, if you're a jingle musician, jingles meaning commercials uh, yeah. for your listeners, um, if, or a staff writer, yeah, you sit there and you show up and you sit down with your coffee and at the keyboard and away you go. You start coming up with whatever you're supposed to come up with. But mm-hmm. I've never been able to work that way. So that's why I kind of suck. I think I had two commercials placed. Where I was sort of the, some company took me on for a little while. And I was just like, wow, I'm, I'm just terrible at this. But I did get a couple placed. Nice. Speaking of, uh, you know, you can't force creativity um, with, you know, essentially the, I guess the city just coming out of a full lockdown. Um, Has this, has this moment in time and maybe especially the past, I don't know, month to six weeks with, um, you know, demonstrations in regards to Black Lives Matter and such. Has this time period have you been writing? Have you been playing? Have you been jotting down ideas? No, there's two types you would think. And okay. See if you agree with me. There's the, there, there are those that are really motivated mm. and doing things. And then there are the unmotivated people. I'm the latter. I, I've never been like that, but I will explain why. I mean, literally sure. I walk, I walk mm. through the house. I have a acoustic guitar just sitting over there and in the living room that I have all my live electric stuff downstairs. I walk by it and I wave at it. And that's what I've been doing pretty much the whole COVID thing. I mm. picked them up very little. And people have said, Oh man, you must be doing a lot of writing. It's like, no, I'm just that guy will go, Oh yeah, I'm going to paint the, I think it's time to paint this room. And I get the paint and I go, eh, I don't feel like it. And I'll go <laughs> walk the dog. So, but, but the reason is I recorded a record, before COVID finished it, did three weeks of touring before COVID. We didn't get the last date done. 
And this is the first time in my 40 plus career, I've been able to drop my shoulders and step back from being Kim Mitchell and just being Kim, you know, my dog Webster's owner and Kim, the really average gardener and the really average cook and seeing some friends, some safe friends and and doing that sort of stuff. So music is kind of, ooh, away right now, even though I have a record. Yeah. Did you you say you named your dog Webster? No, I did not name the dog Webster. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said that. No, his his dog, my dog is named Webster. Oh, okay. He was was a rescue and went to see him and I went, so do we name the dog? And and they went, no, no, his name is Webster. Oh, really? I was like, really? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and, and here's, and so, you know, my, my only dog story that, that you'll get, which is he's out <laughs> with a dog walker one day and the dog walker is like taking pictures of other dogs. He goes, here's Webster and Getty. I was like, what? Did you just, I said, did you just say Getty? And they went, yeah, yeah. The dog's name's Getty. And she didn't even know who Getty was. She just you know, like, <laughs> like a, a young female dog walker. And I'm like, oh, man, that's just amazing. What are the chances? <laughs> that, that, is, that is funny. Yeah, it's just odd, right? You know, yeah. I, I love when things like that in life. Yeah. I mean, we, we are known to take really weird segues <laughs> on this podcast. Do it. So, so, so we might as well take, okay. the, take the Getty Webster segue. Okay. And, t- and talk about uh, battle scars. Okay. Um, so um, let me just pull up because we ha- we we asked some sure. some of our listeners if they had any questions, and so oh, okay. So we have uh, Randy Matheson, and uh, Randy actually he has a really cool thing he does every Friday. He does a Friday rock debates. Um, so he's got a really cool project that he's been doing for big, years. Big following now. on that on Facebook, people engaging on that. Yeah. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. So What's he wants called to again? Do- called Friday, Friday Rock Debate. Oh, he just nice. he, 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 he's talked about branding it or releasing yeah. it, like like doing something more with it. It's literally just he posts it on his Facebook wall, and like a very engaged group of friends and friends of friends all chime in. So it's, what a great and, idea! Yeah. So he said, "This is his comment, his question." Um, I want to know everything about Battle Scar. Okay, um, and, and that and that was it. And then he, then he starts, you know, writing down all the lyrics for the for the song. Um, sure. But my, oh. yeah, yeah. Okay, tell, so, tell me about that. I guess the collaboration. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, we we were spending a lot of time opening up for Rush all through the states. We went to Europe with them and across Canada and a lot of other bands, everybody thinks that all we did was open for Rush, but we did spend a lot of time with him. And we we were playing that, Max Webster was playing Battle Scar in the set, and we're noticing, first of all, um, Neil, uh, Neil Peart, would play our set every night. That was his warm-up. His drums were scrimmed, so it was a black scrim in front of his drums, and no audience ever knew, but we'd be on stage, and his mics wouldn't be turned on, obviously. We're in a big arena where you need the mics to hear the drums. And our drummer's playing, and behind us, Neil's playing our set with us. And that's how he would warm up every night. So uh, that was a pretty cool thing. That's one of my that's beautiful awesome. memories. Yeah, one yeah. of my beautiful memories of Neil. At, 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 of course, he asked that person. He goes, would you guys mind if I warm up to your set? And we're like, no, come on, come on up. Because it sounded great, too. Every night, I'm going, hey, this is awesome, man. Two drummers. <laughs> There's two drummers. If, if, only, if only we could afford him. anyway uh the band getty and uh alex would stand on the side of the stage and battle scar sounded so good with two drummers it was like and and neil knew all of gary's fills and then one night they just went if you guys are ever going to record that please let us know we'd love to join you and like I'm starting to pinch myself at this point. It's like, yeah, the guys in rush want to record with us. It's like, this is crazy. So we ended up doing that and we rented a studio. Um, There's a lot of technical crap that had to go down to have two bands and all those, you know, all the inputs and microphones If studio wasn't ready. It was Nimbus nine where actually Jack Bridgeson worked out of. And we cut it, man. We, it sounded like a 747 taken off. Like they knew the song already. Like they had, they came in ready. Um, 
we had a joke that there were fans outside the recording studio cutting an ear off and putting in an envelope and slipping under the door. Um, <laughs> to, but uh, it sounded amazing. We had it the first take, but we we burned through reels and reels. I think we did maybe, oh, for sure, we did over ten takes, and and then we came in. You know, we came in and listened, and, and you know, the producer went. You know, it's going to be take one. You guys are going to love it. And we're like, listen to it. Yeah, that's amazing. Let's hear some more. I think we got to about take three and we're all like, yeah, yeah, it's good enough. (laughs) Yeah, it's the first one, which is always the case. Not always the case, but Greg Wells, my producer, he's had some major hits. Uh, Apologize, One Republic. He had two Keith Urban number one singles lately. Uh, Most of Katy Perry's records. He had a song on Adele's 21 record. He did uh, 21 Pilots' first record. And he said every, like, just the list goes on. And he said, you know, that pretty well every hit that I ever had, first of all, we never expected it. Second of all, it was like the first or second take. That's amazing. So watch it while you're burning the midnight lamp, young musicians, and going for that 16th uh, guitar solo. The passion is in the first, the first one. In the first one. But if, you, but if you're going to get Russian studio, you might as well play, do 10 takes. That's right. Well, yeah, well, we're enjoying, we're enjoying each other's company. And yeah. After, after a while, you know, alcohol may have been involved too, you know, like, but, <laughs> oh, guys want to have a drink. See, I think it'll sound better. Yeah. It's sounding way better now. <laughs> so there's, there's another perfect segue. Cause what I wanted to talk about, I, I had the, uh, the pleasure of opening and touring a bit with uh, Andy Kieran and Kieran and the boys. Well, like a Soho 69, it would have been then and the Andy Kieran band. And, um, you know, I know you worked with them way back, like early in that, like, what was, what was that like? Like, I just, I, I, like, I'm sure it was way different than when we were all older and more mature, but. Oh, well, you're talking about Coney Hatch's first record. Yeah. With Coney Hatch. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I didn't mean. Yeah. Back that, that's Coney fine. Hatch. Well, Coney Hatch, we're, uh, I'm not sure how I got to know them or see them. I just remember being in a bar at one point and just loved, I thought they were just like, had everything that ACDC had just beautiful riff rock solid mm-hmm. and it just the 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 energy they're transmitting i don't mean jumping around and frantic energy i just mean that that planted relaxed planted vibe it was just there's something going on there that i love so i i kept coming to see them and then you know tried to help them out and they eventually got a deal and said will you record us and i said yeah sure well, you produce it that's great. So, it's good so stuff. That's I love of, it. That's it was, why I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, good time. Steve Shelsky had the best guitar tone ever. Dave Ketchum. He was just the most awesome drummer. Mm-hmm. And Andy had sort of that rock sensibility thing. I hate that word, but, but he had that just, he knew, he knew where the song should be. It was just beautiful. Yeah. And let's not forget Carl. Mm-hmm. So, great band. Yeah. Congrats on the uh, Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. Thank you. Uh, that one mm-hmm. took me by surprise. Really, really like you can, as a musician, you can see gold and platinum records coming because mm-hmm. um, people let you know your stuff's selling and you can sometimes not predict, but you can sense that, oh, there's Juno. I'm nominated for a Juno award. Maybe there's a chance I might get this. I, I don't know. Um, that one I didn't see coming at all. Somebody from, from the organization, so can contact me in my neighborhood here. She lived in my neighbor and she goes, can I meet you at such and such a, a pub for a drink? She says, I want to talk to you about something. And you think, oh, they're going to talk to you about royalties or some kind of convention or do you want to play at something? She goes, we want to induct you into the Canadian Songwriter Hall of Fame and not just a song. We want to induct your whole body of work. And I just oh, wow. went, so- I went silent. I just went silent. And, and I said, you're talking about the same thing like, Leonard Cohn's in and Neil Young and, and Joni Mitchell. She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, Kim Mitchell? Would they even know who this guy is? Would, 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 would somebody like Neil Young be going, who's she? Kim? Who, Kim who? Who's Kim Mitchell? Who's, you know? I mean, you sort of think like that, but then also I looked at her and I kind of started to laugh. She goes, what are you laughing? I said, well, it's a pretty dysfunctional bunch. I should, I'm sure I'll fit right in. <laughs> because, because that's, I have this little theory that really happy people, those really positive people, they're not, 
I mean, you can you can write happy songs and you can be a happy person, but mm-hmm. generally you're a troubled person when when you start going deep into the songwriting thing. You know, like when you think about Joni Mitchell, she's she's you know she's had relationship troubles, her heart broken, stepped on and ripped up and torn up, and you know all those people. And I'm like, okay, we'll fit right in. But that's our fuel. That's the songwriter fuel. So your first phone, telephone call when this gets announced. It's from Miles Goodwin of April Wine. Actually, no, I'm sorry. It was an email. He has my email. And I, I said, from Miles Goodwin, he said, all it said was, what's a guy got to do? Because <laughs> 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 he, he should probably be going in there before I. And I just I emailed him back and said, man, it's nice to get something before you just once in my life. <laughs> It's interesting you say that because I, I had jotted down in my notes. Uh, you said you said you know exactly that. Troubled souls uh, yeah. writes write songs, um, but a lot of a lot of the songs that I remember from the summers of my childhood, especially specifically summers, because you, you seem to have those those anthemic songs that uh, are perfect in in at the C and E grandstand. Um, playing them live outside um, by the lake that, you know, that's the sort of uh, setting that, that I remember Kim Mitchell music being played at. Did, did you see um, us at CNE grandstand at that uh, with, would that have been with Genesis? I don't remember with him. Okay. All right. Yeah. Right. Um, we, we did it by ourselves too, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, whether it's, it's a place like the CNE or, or even what's that place that, um, Wonderland. They used to have concerts there. Yeah, Canada's Wonderland. Yeah, Kingswood. Yeah, Kingswood. Kingswood Music Theater. We were one of a very few bands that uh, had a platinum ticket award there. It was Ann Murray ourselves and somebody else that sold a hundred thousand seats over a few years. Wow. So what? How do you get? How does a troubled soul write party songs? Well, they. I've always been the songs roadie man. Uh, I Mm. they they. uh, I'm not sure where that all starts. That's the most difficult question I get asked. And, mm. and right, right of you, totally right to say, well, how, how does a troubled soul write party tunes? Well, maybe it, there's other wacky stuff too. There's there's Beyond the Moons and Toronto Tontos, and there's mm. there's there's odd Mash Moon in Hawaii, and there's um, All We Are, which is a hurting tune. Great song. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, but there are those party tunes and that's because of the atmosphere that I grew up in, in Canada. Uh, I would spend time at resorts uh, as a kid, Grand Bend. Um, yeah. Beach pavilions, summertime. Woohoo. In the winter, we're all sick with the flu. So, so we're kind of, I'm pretty much, Hold up in the house, but but in the summer it's like yeah, and, and grew up in as I say, alcoholingwood on a boat and that kind of stuff. So I think that's where it comes from. Mm. And I, I'm not going to say I'm a total troubled soul, but yeah, I've had my I've had my my stuff I've been through, and I I, I think uh, the the stuff comes to me like the song wishes uh, or all, all of it actually. I I was looking at it like all this stuff is floating around in the universe up there, and then it picks whoever to be the conduit to, to bring it to life. And, and you have to be open for that. And I'm just, I just serve the song. I'm just going to serve the song. I'm, I'll try and do my best to bring you to life. It's, a, it's kind of, that's how I see it. I don't ever look at like, well, I came up with this part and then I came up with that part. And it's more like, no, the song told me, no, that's not, no, that's not right. Yeah. More like that. More like that. Okay. Yeah. That's it. You got it. Yeah, I've I've um, I've read and heard uh, Neil Young talk about his music in the same way that that it comes to him and you know and and, the, and then once it's written, say almost the same sort. Once it's written, it's written. And he's you know, a songwriter Hall of Fame. So yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> another another troubled soul, kindred spirits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Let's go back to Sarnia for a bit, Kim, if, if, if you don't mind okay. us. Sure. Um, what's, what's your inspiration? Like who, when was the first time you picked up a guitar? Was, sure. was okay. mom, dad play older brother? Like how did that all begin? Okay. 
Um, I'll do it that quick. My my family was not very musical, although my mom, I learned later in life that she was in a group with her sister and her brother, a vocal group, and they're called Two Bees and a Honey. Um, and so that's the only music uh, I knew of. In Sarnia, uh, I remember sitting on my father's lap at a very young age, and I'm going to call it somewhere around five to seven years old. Uh, sitting on his lap watching Elvis Presley on the Ed Sullivan show. Mm. And they said, after that, I was obsessed with the guitar. Like all I kept saying was, I want a guitar. I want a guitar. I want a guitar. They said, well, they got, they got me a guitar and I completely kind of withdrew from going outside playing tag and, and kick the can and wanting to hang outside with friends. Or yeah, I go out once in a while, of course, but I said, just sit and play the thing. And obviously not playing it. You don't even know how to tune a guitar at that point. You just, I just remember when I think back, I think it was rock and roll, the pulse of rock and roll and the guitar. It wasn't the scream. I don't remember people screaming at all of us. I don't, I just remember hearing that. Just there's some kind of groove going on in the guitar. And the fact that he played it so low, I thought this I mean, you don't know that back then, but when I think back, it's like, that's where music, rock and roll should be played. It's played down here at the crotch. It's not It's not mm-hmm. played in here. It's not played in here. It's played at the other crotch. Music, <laughs> other music, it's like down here. It's like the, the hip sway is not side to side. Side to side hip sway is like ABBA. Da, 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 da. <laughs> you know, and, and that's cool. Like there's there's two kinds of hip sway. Hip rock and roll and Elvis was like front to back. <laughs> you know, it's, it was... So it's a, it's sexy to me and they're both are valid. So that's where it started in Sarnia. And then they said, I completely after that moment also went into the corner of the dining room where there's a little 45 record player and would play hound dog over and over. And then they started to buy other records and I'd play everything Patsy Cline and cause they had stuff like that little singles. And, and then the f- they said the first music that I really got interested in was Motown. Wow. Because, because Sarnia was, yeah. if you cross the border over to Port Huron, Michigan, you're in Michigan, you're 40 minutes from Detroit. Yeah. So I was, you know, I was seriously influenced by Detroit rock and roll bands like the MC5, who I ended up opening up for. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I told that to uh, little Steven one day and, and he goes, did you just say, stop? He goes, did you just say you open up for the MC5? I said, yeah, I think I was like 15 or 16. He goes, man, he goes, your cred just went way up in my book. The funny moment. So, yeah, it's kind of music just kind of went along like that. I think it was in my first band at 12, took some lessons, had a brush cut. I was a nerd. My first band, I played bass on a six-string guitar. And then they bought me a bass and I went like, Ooh, I don't like this thing. It's like, there's only four strings and it's really deep. And um, so I went back to guitar. And then at 17, I packed up with a man named zoom. We were playing our original stuff and they said, we're moving to Toronto. You want to come? And I was like, when are you going? They went next week. So um, I remember the, the high school principal going, you know, Kim, you have to start setting an example. You're in grade 11 now. And um, we think you should cut your hair. And I said, that's awesome. I said, well, you don't have to worry about me anymore because I'm actually moving to Toronto next week. And he just kind of turned around and basically walked away like, oh, you're done. You're all done. <laughs> You'll never amount you. to You'll, yeah, Troublemaker. Like, oh, yeah, troublemaker. You'll never amount to anything. Wow. That was a, that was a, that was a one moment that I remember in, in, in Sarnia was my elementary school teacher because at grade eight, I was playing with high school guys. So on Fridays, I'm playing in a band with high school dudes at high school dances. And um, he said, he said, what are you going to, where are you, what are you going to take uh, when you go to high school? Like what courses? Cause he goes, cause you know what? He says, your, your sister really is, is in high school and she's not doing that great. And you're not half as smart as she is. She's yeah. So I, you know, I thought it was just kind of a shitty moment. It was, we were, you know, um, I'll always remember that. And then them saying, Oh, there's a reunion. Do you want to come to it? And I was like, no, I don't want to. I'm not going to bother going to that. So, but you could have played are, there. <laughs> teachers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> teachers are supposed to build you up. You know, hey, yeah. that's, yeah. Great. Yeah, that's yeah. great. You're in music. You know, are you? Hey, look, you know, look at one of our students is going to play at Central High School tonight for 
a school dance. That's great. It's going to make 60 bucks, you know? Um, so good on you, Kim. I was a young entrepreneur. Yeah. What, what, did, what did your parents think uh, taken off to Toronto at a young age? Oh, they were heartbroken. You know, you tell them that, that moment and they're like, Oh, I'm moving to Toronto. They went, Oh, that's nice. You're going to pursue music, like, you know, after school and everything. I'm like, no, no, I'm leaving like next week. And they were just, my mom started to cry and my dad got real concerned. But in the end, when I left, my dad gave me, I think he gave me like two, somewhere between 200 and $400. I'm like, you're going to need this. And, and you know, I, they, I got their blessings as much as they could. Sure. Yeah. Excellent. I can't let my son listen to this that you dropped out of high school, Kim. So, <laughs> Yeah, I understand. I understand. No, I get it. Yeah, no, no, but, no. But you know, it, there's something to be said about uh, in grade 11, having enough of a drive to say, this, yeah. this is what I want to do. Right? I'm not sure if it's dry, it, Okay, so we're talking <laughs> drive. Yeah, probably stupidity. <laughs> well, think about it. 11, what, 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 what age was I? 17, maybe. And I think yeah, I was, seven, 16, I was 17, being, 16 like years old, yeah. So and you're moving to Toronto to King and Parliament in a, in a house that's $150 a month, the whole band, a roadie, um, a girlfriend, and next door, three convicts that just got out of the Don Jail. You know, that's our, that's your neighbors. And, and Perfect. <laughs> oh, it was perfect. The door, you know, you're eating your dinner, you know, little kids, trying, all of a sudden the door just bang, swings open. These three really mean, nasty guys are walking up the hall in this Victorian house. We're like, stopped. What's good? We're going to die. What's, what? 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 And uh, they're like, we hear you guys jamming. We're your neighbors. You guys are jamming a lot, eh? And we're like, uh, yeah, do you want us to turn it down there? No. As a matter of fact, if anybody gives you a hard time, you just tell us. We really like what you're doing. And so nice. Like, <laughs> there and you go. They then they proceeded to drink some aftershave and stuff like that, because that's all we had to drink. So we, we didn't have any booze. So. Jeez. Sounds like, that sounds like uh, backstage Larry's Hideaway back in the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was paid the dues in that place, man. First, yeah. first trip out, you know. So I had the fridge out back of the house because the landlord wouldn't fix it. So... In the spring, when it got too warm, the band had to break up. It couldn't keep your food warm. And I, I, that's the truth. Hmm. Um, and that's when my show band days started. When, how old were you when you went to Greece? And, and what, what happened to go to Greece? What was that all about? Well, I just, you just got me to the show band days. And the first show band I was in ah. was, was uh, a Greek male singer and... Um, and a female singer and it was the show band. I didn't even know what a show band was. A buddy called me and went, Hey, you want to come on the road with a show band? I went, what's a show band? I, what, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, we play bars and restaurants and, and it's Monday to Friday and it's 150 bucks a week. I'm like, I'm down. Okay. Cause I was <laughs> going to go back to school. And uh, that was the, the Greek singer. Um, mm. He did a sort of a Tom Jones thing. Well, not a sort of, it was a Tom Jones thing. And, uh, he was great, though. Real nice man. Lots of fun. And said, my family's building a nightclub in Greece on the Isle of Rhodes. You guys want to come over and be the band? So I was like, yeah, sure. So the two of us went because they needed, the Greek government said, half your, over half your band. I think it was half your band. has to be Greek. So we had three Greeks and the two of us um, from Canada. And it was nice, man. Spent a year on a Greek island. I quit smoking. I was living clean. It was like, wow. It was so nice. Oh, man. It was so nice. And, wow. you know, stayed, stayed. The wasn't done yet. The club wasn't done yet the first uh, month. So we stayed in a village, the village of Apollina, where some of the people hadn't even seen their own coast. And, uh, oh, it's just so beautiful up there. Oh, man. It was best, best, really sweet time. I practiced right. every day. And were you, was, were you always thinking to go, to come back to North America or to yeah, go to like yeah. the big city or whatever? Uh, wanted to, I was wanting to study guitar from a specific teacher. Um, oh. Even before I left. And, and so, um, I loved my time in Greece. And then when I, after about a year, I went, 
I wanted to study from this guy because I'd been practicing over in Greece and it's time to try and do this. So I got a hold of him and and made made uh, tracks to come back. And that's when uh, Mike Tilka came into my life, who was a bass player, Max Webster. And he was a, an American teaching, I think he was teaching in Windsor. Yeah, he was. And we had just the worst jam. I flew back and it's like, okay, yeah, sure. He says, I'll go to Toronto. I want to go to Toronto too. Let's, let's give it a go. I'm rambling on guys. Sorry. That's good. Do you want me to no. Okay. Loving it. Um, okay. So, and Mike, we, we met in Windsor and we had the most awkward, weird jam. I was like, Ooh, this is very strange, but let's move. Cause I need to take lessons and we'll start a band. He seemed to have a really good business head on him too. So I was like, mm. I think, I think we'll be able to get something going. And we did. We, Went, got a house in Toronto and got a couple more players and worked hard and jammed in the basement and it got better and wrote some more tunes and played originals and covers and started working in Larry's Hideaway and Piccadilly Tube and all these bars in Toronto. And from there, we got going out to Oshawa and Whitby and, you know, next thing, Sudbury, North Bay and Kingston. And and then from there, I was like, oh, okay, we're headed to Winnipeg and that kind of thing. So, and this beautiful. is as Max Webster. As Max Webster, yeah. Where did where did the name come from? Uh, bass player Mike was in a band in the states called Family at Max, and they did a song called "Song for Webster." And I just brought it up randomly. I said, "How about a name like Jethro Tull?" But nobody in the name, nobody in the band is named that. He said, "How about Max Webster?" Daryl Sturmer played with him. Daryl Sturmer is a guitar player with Phil Collins for decades. Now, so. Ah, yeah. This it's it was a fun time, Max Webster. It was very experimental. Um, yeah, very. Um, I was t- I was telling Greg. So, uh, Greg obviously uh, was 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 in a band back in the day. Um, myself, I was I was a uh, a CFTR six eighty listener back when they played played all the top forty stuff. So obviously, I had heard all all of your tunes as well as I'm sure. Uh, you know, Max Webster songs came on there, if not Q107 uh, for, for, for sure. Uh, but I remember telling Greg that, you know, you'd be going through the record bins um, and you'd see a Max Webster album. And you were somewhere on the cover of that. But I, I didn't, it didn't click for me that it was you. Mm. It was someone that looked like Kim Mitchell, but he wasn't wearing a ball cap. And he was wearing these, you know, just weird outfits. From um, Willie Wonderfuls. <laughs> yes, yes, from, from Thornhill, right? That's right, exactly. In Thornhill, my, yeah. My, my girlfriend, who ended up being my wife, they, her parents lived across the street from Willie Wonderfuls. So that's how I discovered that place. Like, oh, what's that across the street? Also, Willie Wonderfuls, a clothing store. And I went over and I started looking at this stuff. It's bizarre. I, I'm going to start buying some of it and wearing it. What, like was it was that just the seventies poking yeah. fun at glam rock sort of thing? Oh I, no, man! I was serious. Sadly, <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, you know that's a pretty embarrassing part of of my whole career. Our our album covers. So <laughs> yeah, but I remember telling Greg. I said I didn't click that that was that that yeah, was Kim people, Mitchell. Well, I get called that all the time. Hey, Max. Hey, you know, people be like, <laughs> yeah. oh, that, that's Max Webster sitting over there. Like, yeah, they, didn't my, they didn't know my name. That's okay. <laughs> but the songs are, those, you know, obviously you go down rabbit hole as, 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 we're, as we're researching. And I, you know, just flashback just to all of those songs. I can't believe that all those, like you're on all of those songs from, from, from way back in my, my childhood and, uh, similar to what Greg said, you know, in, in influencing him as a musician, um, you know, it, whether it's yourself or bands like the Tragically Hip, where that music has sort of wallpapered, um, at least for Greg and I, you know, mm. our childhood and our summers for, for so many years. Well, even uh, Benini, right? Benini's like kind words about you guys. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Dave, right? I'm talking yeah, Dave. Dave. Sorry, yeah. Dave Benini. Yeah. yeah. Um, tell me about the influence of Jim Chevalier. Uh, Jim. Okay. That's a, that's the first time I've been asked this in, in a many in my whole career, actually. Jim was a, a childhood friend. Okay. And back in Sarnia, Ontario, a musician. And we, we played together 
uh, early on, pretty early on. Uh, he was in the band that m- we moved to Toronto. It was actually him that said we're moving to Toronto. And I found him, we were, we were in a band and, and all of a sudden we were doing his songs. He was writing songs. I thought, this, this stuff is like so good. It's like, I really love it. It's so creative. I just found him to be a really creative person. And Jim, I still think that about him, except he never got out of Sarnia. Oh. And it's not, not, I'm not, that sounds bad. He never chose to leave Sarnia. So, but that doesn't mean he's not a creative person. He sure. just, I just thought if he came to Toronto and got a cool vibey band, his recent band, I think they're called Almost Floating. And that's what the music is like. He just starts to play and just like, wow, this is just so trippy and beautiful and wonderful. And, uh, his songwriting is so unique still. Um, I, he was just a big influence on my guitar playing and on, when I got to songwriting, I thought, okay, you really need to claim your own piece of musical real estate. Mm. Right. Rather than like follow a trend or it was like, no, you need something that's yours. So, yeah. And cause he had, that was his, it was his, it was like, man, nobody is like you. Nobody sounds like you. Nobody writes like you. It's beautiful. And you, you had, you, you, you had a long, I guess, partnership. I don't, I don't know whether you'd call it like a writing partnership but you, you had like a partnership with, with Pai, Pai Dubois. Am I saying that name? Pai Dubois. Yeah, Pai Dubois. Yeah. Tell, yeah. How, how, did, how did that begin? Because I've, I've heard he, stories where, you know, you guys be sitting in a van, he'd hang you, hand you a piece of paper. and Sure, that, that was Patio Lanterns. Yeah. Yeah, he, he always carried pieces of paper. He always was writing stuff down on either a match. He wrote Gopher Soda on, on, a, on a napkin at a party that we're leaving. Uh, patio lanterns was just on a piece of paper. I was dropping him off in my van and he just put it on the engine cover and said, this is something I want to give you. Um, so he was always writing. Now, Pi was another childhood friend from Sarnia. Okay. And he just sort of, I think he just sort of help us with our gear once in a while. You know, like, Hey, how you doing? You know, and carry our guitars out to the, to the van, just sort of help us pack it, pack up. And, and then uh, later on, I got to know that he, kind of does a bit of writing and uh then when i went to greece we we became friends but we never wrote anything he'd just show me stuff every once in a while it's kind of disinterested because i wasn't writing songs but i'd look at it and go yeah it's kind of weird and stuff yeah i thought he had a real unique thing with the english language jamming with it and then it wasn't until i was in greece i got a letter from him that says i'm going to be traveling through turkey um i'm going to come visit you if that's okay uh get back or call back and I said, yeah, sure. I'm, yeah, I'm in the town of Rhodes and just past the old town. And that's when he, he came over and we wrote our first tune there. So uh, that's kind of a long standing relationship that we began writing with Max Dugster. Yeah, he was a, a pretty, pretty unique addition to the whole vibe. Um, not many people write like him. And I'll tell you what would set our music and lyrics apart from everyone else is that he was never a storyteller. He was an imagist. He painted wow. pictures. Everything was, every line was like, Oh, that creates a picture in your mind. It's not like, well, one day we were doing this and then that happened. Well, you know, a lot of sort of like the pity me of what country is. Uh, sure. It's a lot of stories, storytelling. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a, that's a, a valid form of, of songwriting, but he was something that was like, would it, you're not really telling a story. He goes, no, no, I'm an imagist. I, I, and I'm like, wow, this is great. Your, um, the song "Let Go the Line." That's uh, the keyboard player Terry Watkinson. That's yeah. not mine. Yeah, he wrote that. Yeah, with with Max yep. Webster. Yep. Um, you guys had the TSO play on that. Yeah. On on that was that. Um, was that the one of the first times that that a rock band ha- has included that or, you know, was that something you guys, you know, maybe saw the Beatles do something similar and said, let's, let's, let's have our own sort of. It, it had been done many times, yeah. but yeah. it was the first time we did it. Yeah. It was a producer, John Benotbeck, who um, thought it would be a nice addition. Uh, we used them somewhere else too, but we did use them on that. And uh, that was a cool experience um, seeing the charts and, watching that whole trip go down. The funny part for me was that whole session was 
they ran it through once and then apparently at a certain time they take a union break so we were about ready to push record <laughs> we we're about ready to push record and everybody went like this right they didn't even say anything they just walked away they got up out of their chairs put their headphones down went outside and had smokes and talked away and i i looked i'd never seen anything like this before i went what, what, what is this? What's, What's just happened? Yeah, I'm in the control room. Like, <laughs> what? What? Aren't we, weren't we just going to do a take? Am I like, and, and they went, no, it's union break. They're union musicians. It's union break. They'll be back in 20 minutes. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. It's, you know, <laughs> smart, you know? Yeah. They came back, they came back and killed it, man. It was just like one take. And that was it. How do you get that gig? How can we get these, this 20 minute breaks? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll be here till four in the morning, you know, fixing what you guys did. No, it's not the case, but it was great. They were great. How did, um, how did you and Peter, Meet up, Peter Fredette. Okay, uh, that was my solo career, and I was, yeah. reco- I was recording. And I'm, I'm a little hazy on why this other musician from Ottawa. I'm, I don't know whether if he might have been in the band at some point. His name was Paul Butler, and he was in our band for a short period of time. But I thought he was in after Peter. But I said to Paul, who was from Ottawa, I said, "Do you know somebody who could?" play bass or play guitar and so i'm kind of looking for somebody who can sing to sing a bit he goes yeah yeah he says i know a guy named peter for so we brought peter down and um he played uh i think we had a bass player at the time so he played guitar and uh but he said he, he plays bass he says i'll play i'll play whatever you want me to play so he played that and then i got him i started to hear him sing and it was just like oh man he said that voice is like ridiculous and and yeah i i had already written all we are it was already yes. done and and it was on the shelf i shelved it because of like i can't I'll, I'll get a female to sing this part in the chorus because i can't sing it you know if every one day i record it and then when i heard him sing i was like oh okay that song started to roll through my head and went i wonder if peter could sing this and I said, is your range up around blah, blah, blah? And he just kind of went, you know, did a little bit of that stuff. I'm like, whoa. I said, okay, so I'm going to yell and you sing. (laughs) You're in the band. If you have a van, you're in the band. Yeah. (laughs) He's got a beautiful voice. He does. Just a beautiful voice. Yeah. I can't tell you the number of times throughout the decades after he'd sing that song when we were doing really well, we'd finish a some big show somewhere across, you know, wherever we were, and there'd be a knock on the dressing room door after, and there'd be like three, four beautiful ladies, and it'd, I'd be open up the door and I'd say, "Hi, how you doing?" And be like, "Hi, is Peter here? Can we meet him?" And <laughs> awesome. I wanted to switch gears just a bit for a couple of different topics, if you don't mind. Um, one is my son, my son Bryant, who's in his mid twenties. His comment on Facebook was you know, how, how, how much he loved the fact that you, well, one of your songs had become a, I don't know, meme, but like a, a catch line in trailer park boys. And, um, with the, 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 was it, let's go get drunk. Let's smoke. Some yeah, rock, and, yeah. 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 You, you rock, you rock the piss and I'll rock, I'll rock the Mitchell. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what he said. And yeah, and and I I know you did some work. I think you did uh, at least one episode with Kids in the Hall, and you were, you know, on on one of my favorite short-lived Canadian series, Twitch City. Don McKellar's Twitch City was 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 that, and obviously not the Trailer Park Boys because I was part of their skit. But like, was was acting ever part of it, or was it a fun thing you were doing? Like, how was that? No, it was it was uh, them just phoning my management and going, "Can be involved in this?" and oh. and they'd ask me and go, "Do you want to try this?" And I'm like, "Okay, sure." But there was never really any moment in my career where I thought, "I think I'd like to act." I, you know, especially after seeing so, some of my cheesy '80s videos, I just went, "Wow!" I, went, wow. <laughs> I like to stay away from a camera and just leave the guitar here. But, yeah, fair enough. But it was fun. I'm going to say it was a fun experience doing yeah. that stuff. The, the, I found the odd thing about all that stuff is the hurry up and wait factor of, of, of television, of all that. Um, the one that kind of blew me away was uh, they used go for so I think it was go for soda on Miami yeah. vice. And I didn't know that was going to happen. I was watching Miami vice one night and all of a sudden, what? <laughs> <laughs> 
what did I am I listening? Am I hearing this right? That was kind of neat. And then also yeah. the next one was Joe Walsh calling my house one night. Yeah, Whoa, wait, time out. What happened? <laughs> well, you're, you're sitting around watching TV with your wife and the phone rings. And just to set this up, I was right before I was going to record my Rockland album, Rockland Wonderland album. Yeah. And the record label said, you know, Joe Walsh is producing. Do you want us to reach out to him? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then you forget about it, right? Like, sure. You, that stuff. So the phone rings one night and, and my wife goes, there's a really weird guy on the phone right now. He says, he's calling himself Joe. He says he wants to talk to you. And I'm like, Joe who? Like, I'd forgotten. Like, she goes, I don't know. He's really weird, though. It's like, it sounds really weird. So I said, ask him what his last name is. And he says, Joe. And she goes, it's Joe Walsh. And I'm like, what? What? Joe Walsh. So I get on. And all he said was like, all right, it's Joe. Uh, you want to make a record? And I'm like, yeah, sure. He goes, all right, let's make a record. And he hung up. That's all he said. And then it was all arranged. I flew to Memphis. People put me up at the Peabody Hotel. But this is the wacky thing. Joe Walsh picks me up at the Memphis airport. He's standing there with a buddy. And we're like, hey, hi, this is so-and-so. Hey, how do you do? And we walk out to the car. And it's a yellow Volkswagen Beetle. With of guitars course it in is. The, <laughs> with guitars in the back. It's his buddy's car. It's not even Joe's. So Joe's in the passenger side. The dude's driving. And I'm in the center. Well, well, the dude, because that's the only place to sit. Have you ever tried to sit in the middle of a, of a Volkswagen Beetle? Because there's guitars in the back. I'm like, what? what is happening here? So it was kind of surreal. That's my Joe Wall story. And then we did our thing at the studio. He was having girl trouble and you know, his girlfriend has it. And he kept leaving the studio because I had to keep getting on the phone with her and finally i just went you know man i'm just gonna grab the next plane because you seem really distracted thanks for your time and everything everything he said though when when he was listening to the demos was like wow that's just great whoa that you know he had that that thing um and then the last part of this story and i'm really sorry i've been rambling on tonight no, no. Um, uh he says i ran we opened up for him in uh, Western Canada and, and I walked up to him at the catering table and he's kind of, you know, you're kind of sitting picking a piece of cheese up. And I said, excuse me, man. I said, uh, my name's Ken. I said, you, I came to see you uh, in Memphis. You were going to record my Rockland album and I came to your studio. You picked me up at the airport uh, thing and blah, blah, blah. I said, uh, and he's kind of like looking at me and I said, uh, do you remember that at all? He goes, no. Sorry. <laughs> I thought you were going to ask him about why, why did you have a yellow, what happened to your vehicles? <laughs> That's right. No, he just said no. But then he was really sweet. He goes, oh, sorry, man. Crazy times in. And then he goes, well, how you doing anyway, man? I said, that's okay. We don't need to do small talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I just want to ask you, I want to ask you one more thing, if you don't mind. It's just around um, your time at Key 107. And, and mm. you know, I, I think of yourself and like Randy Bachman with, with vinyl tap. And I think of, you know, Wade McNeil from Alexis on fire on the edge. And, and I think, you know, for, for me, and maybe it's because I'm a f- former musician myself, but you know, I really, I really appreciate the, 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 um, the perspective, right. The perspective that you bring that you brought during your time at Q107. So. Oh, uh, thanks. That's a, that's very nice of you to say. I know Wade, uh, you know, we're just around the hall from each other and, You'd come in once in a while. We'd have a little chit chat. Um, Radio is a completely different animal, and it's it was new for me. I had no training, and I think there might have been a little animosity in the hallways from other announcers that they're they're the ones next in line or in the company. Of course, they're sure you know from out of town. It's like, what is this guy getting the second largest shift on this radio major radio station? He has no training, and as a matter of fact, we listened to him, and he sucks. Cause I did, I sucked for the first year because you do, you, you're, you start something new and you're terrible at it, but I worked really hard at it. And I've said this a few times, a few times to people that when I bought a year, I've worked really hard and my boss was great. And I felt like things were starting to click a little bit. And it wasn't until another announcer in Toronto competing station, Stu, Stu Jeffries. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got a letter from him and he goes, cause he had interviewed me. He goes, Man, he said, I've been listening to you, and I can tell you've been working really hard over the year. He said, um, "You, res- I can tell you respect the craft, 
and you're really turning into something and bringing something to the city. So, so keep whatever you're doing, keep working hard at it because it's starting to work really well. I just, that gave me so much confidence um, yeah. to, to hear that. So, and you did, and you did for sure. That's why I thank you. Thank for that. you. Thank you. Yep. Great. Thank yeah. you. Um, so one of the last things I like to ask, you know, before, before we wrap it up is one more, Greg, one more, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. One more. Sure. Okay. So I, I cool. just, I need to tell one story or I need to bring up a, a listener, uh, wanted to, yeah, sure. wanted to say thank you. So one of our listeners, his name is Mark Caruana. Back in the day, he used to, uh, work on Russia's guitars after they'd finished a tour. He'd work at a, I don't know the name of the place, but he'd work in a, uh, a guitar shop in Toronto and uh, Lifeson and Lee would bring in their guitars and he'd, you know, his tweak, boss tweak say, them up. Yeah. Tweak yeah. them up. Tweak them up. Damage control. Fix yeah. them up. Yeah. Yeah. So th- this is, this is his comment. 30 years ago, his car broke down on the highway. He hops a fence, knocks on a warehouse door to use the phone. You open the door, Kim. He almost faints. He lets you into the house to use the phone and you let him stay to listen so that he could listen to you guys rehearse. And he just <laughs> wanted, Mark just wanted to say thank you for the best uh, surprise yeah. he's ever had. And oh, uh, that's he, sweet. Yeah. yeah, he's a teacher here in Toronto um, at Earl Haig. He teaches uh, science. Oh, oh, wow. We played Earl Haig, Max Webster. <laughs> yeah. a, I remember I remember playing Earl Hag. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, Mark. That's very nice, Mark. You, you yeah. uh yeah. And he's he's collected. He has been on television recently because of his old record player collection. And and I, I'm trying to remember the name of, of what record players used to be called, like tube record. It'd be a tube. Oh, those, and, yeah. Oh. Yeah. So he's got a huge collection of these in his house. Wow. Um, so, so he is a nerd, music fan for sure. Man. Yeah. Wow. Well, Greg, go ahead. Thanks, thanks, thanks for telling me that. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's great. Yeah. thought that was a great story. I mean, yeah. someone knocks on the door, we watch them use a phone, yeah. they're in trouble. Like, what are you going to say? Go away. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's <We're> not me. <laughs> <laughs> Here, come on in. You want good a hot can- dog? <laughs> good Canadian boy. <laughs> right. Here, come on, have a hot dog, too. Here, we're going to just about to blast into the toilet. Let us know what you think of this. I think the song sucks. What do you think? <laughs> Take it out back. Take it in the backyard, Kim, and shoot it. That's, what it That's right. Exactly. Should, yeah, should we shoot this song and never play it again? Or, what do you think, Mark? Hey, Mark thinks it's okay. All right. That's awesome. So back to the question I was going to ask you is, you know, just what's what's in your earbuds lately? What are you listening to? Again, we're a music podcast. We'd love to hear that from our guests. Sure. Um, usually the whistling in my ears, I don't listen to a lot of stuff, but, uh, uh, well, I shouldn't say I I do. I'm going to say off the top Doyle Bramhall, the second right now. Um, people might go, who's he? I, in the eighties, he was with a band called Archangels. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, I've seen him play a few times and he's probably one of my favorite guitar players and songwriters and singer. Um, uh, he, he dated, I think he dated Cheryl Crow, Renee Zellweger. I don't know. Uh, he's got a mojo. I'm not even sure why I brought that up, but um, <laughs> he, he. I guess it was sort of say he, he's really well well liked and really well known. Like he was in Cheryl Crow's band, and actually he toured with Eric Clapton as well, uh, and also Roger Waters. He sang, you know, there is no pain you are received. Did you ever find that on it? His voice is ridiculous. His guitar playing is amazing. And, so I listen to his stuff lately. Um, uh, another guy, AJ Gent, uh, he's a slide player. A um, little bit of Anna Natrebko, who's a, a, a Russian opera singer. She uh, she reminds me of how uh, sort of like there's there's opera, and then there's sort of the when someone walks out on the stage and there's just like something else amazing going on. And uh, I went to see her at the Met in New York and she's mind blowing to me. People kind of freak out. like, what you like opera? Well, not especially, but I love her, her talent. It's just like freaks me out. It's just, she's way above and beyond so much. Uh, that's so that's kind of a couple I've been listening to right. over the past couple of days. That is awesome. 
So the the album is the big fantasize. Is there a release the big, date? The, the big fantasize. Yep. Yeah. When when is that? When can we expect that to be released? Uh, September, October, November, somewhere in there. There's no manual here because we were in yeah. the middle of a pandemic. So we're kind of like, well, scratch. Everybody's scratching their heads, going, well, what do you think? Well, let's put out wishes, and wishes has done really well. Okay, now what? Well, we don't know yet. So we'll awesome. figure it out. But Perfect. thank you for your time. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. We Thanks. we really appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to uh, to the new album. Thanks again for thank your time, you. Kim. Yeah, thanks, thanks for man. talking. Thank, uh, thank you, guys, and uh, stay healthy. All right. Yeah, stay you healthy. Too. Stay safe. Cheers. Hey, you too, man. Thanks, man.